I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you're able, and we'll give attention to our passage today as we start a brand new teaching series through the book of James. And we're going to start with one verse today, right at the beginning, James chapter 1, verse 1. This is God's word to each of you today. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, Greetings. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Several years ago, I found myself stuck. Have you ever been stuck before? Specifically in traffic, which is easy to do in this city. This was many years ago. It was beginning to get dark. And the reality is I wasn't just stuck in traffic. I was feeling a bit stuck and scattered in my life. I was in graduate school at the time. Uh, my wife, Jim, was helping put me through school. She was a, um, a fifth grade teacher here in CMS. Um, I was working Sunday through Thursday and going to school on Friday and Saturday. Um, we were like kind of ships passing in the night and trying to figure out being newlyweds. I had lost my dad unexpectedly and was grieving and trying to sort through his life and my own grief and loss in that. And I remember in traffic that evening, um, sitting there with all my friends uh, who didn't want to be anywhere uh, but on 485 um, that evening. I remember um, there was uh, dirt that was getting on my windshield. I can remember this vividly. And we were kind of crawling along. You've been there before. And trying to get to any place but where we were. And I remember thinking about my life and thinking, this sort of feels like my life right now. And, and maybe it does for you this morning too. And just when I thought, you know, this can't get any worse, um, I got close to the truck that was in front of me and I realized that um, it may not be dirt that was on my windshield. When I looked up at the truck, it said something like Jim's Porta Potty Services. <laughs> and I had been behind this truck for miles and miles and I thought, yeah, that's perfect. Um, that's the... <laughs> That is the perfect picture of what it feels like in my life right now. And maybe for some of you who are sitting here this morning, for those of you who might be watching online, maybe that's a picture of how you feel in life. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel uh, scattered with the circumstances and relationships and situations um, in your life. And the truth is this, that I wanted to get out of that situation in traffic, but I really wanted to get out of the circumstances and situation in my life. And I was asking God to help me get out of that or get, get over it. And the reality is I think God was using the circumstances and that traffic and feeling stuck and scattered in my life to get into my life. And oftentimes when I'm in a difficult circumstance, when you're in a difficult cir circumstance, my singular prayer is, God, get me out of this. And many times God wants to use those circumstances and situations, that traffic, that stuckness, that scatteredness, to get into your life. And so the very reason why you might be going through some of the things that you're going through is so that God can get through to you. But I remember sitting in traffic that night and I remember several different moments in my life and maybe you too, where I felt scattered and stuck and I wondered, how am I gonna get through what I'm going through? And I open with that story because the book of James, 
the book that we're gonna be journeying through over the next several months is speaking to that very question, how do I get through what I'm going through? James is writing a letter to a group of people that felt stuck, they felt scattered, maybe they felt like they were behind a porta potty truck metaphorically in their life and they wanted to be anywhere else but where they were. And they're asking the question that maybe you're asking this morning, maybe people around you know you're asking or maybe privately you're asking the question, how in the world in this situation at work I'm facing tomorrow, in a relationship with my finances, with my spirituality, how in the world am I gonna get through what I'm going through? Is a real Jesus gonna be real to me in my life? And this group's pastor chooses to write a letter to them. This group that was stuck and and scattered, their pastor sees that, And he wants to address the question that they're asking out loud or internally, how am I gonna get through what I'm going through? And so he writes a letter and the pastor's name is James. And what you're holding in your hands is the letter that he wrote to a scattered and and stuck group. And it's the journey that we're gonna walk through together as we face our own difficult circumstances and situations in life. And as we jump into the passage, into the scripture, I wanna encourage you in a couple of ways. In fact, I wanna challenge you as your pastor in a couple of ways as we approach this incredible letter. The first is that I want you to be here as much as possible. And if you can't be here to watch online like many of our friends are doing today, to choose to, to listen to the sermons and engage in the teachings as we walk through them over the next several months. We're gonna go passage by passage. I wanna encourage you secondly to invite somebody in your life that might be scattered or stuck. For many of you, you're gonna be sitting beside someone, you're gonna be at the dinner table tonight beside someone, uh, you're gonna be uh, with a neighbor that uh, is stuck. They feel stuck, they feel scattered. And this is a teaching that they can connect to And so I wanna encourage you to think and pray about somebody in your life that you could say, hey, come sit with me. You guys have heard me say this over and over again. When people are asked who don't have a church home, what would it take for you to come to church on a Sunday morning to get up like you did, to get dressed, to make the effort to be here? There's one prevailing answer over and over again. If somebody that I trust and love would invite me. And more than just saying, hey, I'm doing this at church, that's wonderful to say, hey, come sit with me. I'll walk you through. I'll, I'll make sure you find a place to sit and, and I'll, I'll help you. So think about somebody you can invite in this series. And then thirdly, I wanna encourage you to read ahead and to study the passages as we walk through them together. You're gonna be handed a reading guide when you leave today. Some of you have already picked one up. This is available online too. For those of you watching online, you can stick it in your Bible or in your refrigerator or someplace you can can see it. And every passage and sermon is laid out all the way until July. So you can read ahead uh, and study ahead with us. We've got a, a sermon discussion guide that's available online as well that you can use with your family or your group or individually to go further. And then here's the fourth thing. I really do want to encourage you as we begin our study and we walk through the book of James the next several months to be praying, uh, to ask God to speak to you and what you're going through in your life and to ask God to speak to other people that are even seated around you today um, to work in their life, to, to encourage them and to draw them closer. You know, we're in a season right now as a church of, of discernment and, and praying and asking God to speak to us and show us his will and way for the future of our church. And I wanna encourage you to join us in that and praying in your own life and for our church family 
of what the Lord would have for us. So before we jump into verse one, we're gonna cover one verse today, okay? Before we jump in, let me do just that. Let me, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for my friends um, who are here, for those watching online, for the ability to, to study and to come to your word today. Thank you for the gift of your word. Uh, the Bible reminds us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands firm forever. So in a world where many of us are asking, how am I gonna get through what I'm going through? What's, what's real? What's truth? What can I base my life on? What can I stand on today? We stand on the truth and the power of your word. And so I pray, God, that you would visit us today. And as we study this book over the next several months, that you would speak to us and encourage us and help us to continue to follow passionately after you. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So James starts, of course, with verse one, chapter one. If you have your scriptures, I wanna encourage you to open there with me or, or, or turn it on your phone and follow along with me. James begins by identifying himself as the author. And then he says this descriptor, by the way, he says, I'm a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll become an even more vivid description of who he is when you understand a little bit more about James. And he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes of Jewish believers scattered abroad, and then he just simply says, greetings. And in this one verse, we learn three things about the book of James that are very important as we set the foundation and the context for our study over the next several months. We learn about the author. The author is James, and we'll learn a little bit more about him. We learn about the recipients, the people who are receiving the letter. Uh, we learn that there are the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, and well, we'll learn a little bit more about what that means specifically, uh, the audience that James was thinking about primarily and writing to. And then we learn about the theme of the book, really with that one word, scattered. And we'll drill a little bit deeper into that and what James was talking about in terms of their situation and their, their stuckness or scatteredness in life and the difficulty of their life. But let's start with the author of the book, James. Now, there was an apostle James and then there was James the brother of Jesus. The author of the book of James, the New Testament book that we're studying is the brother of Jesus. So we'll start with James's family of origin. It, and again, you, you know them. Who were his parents? You've heard of them. Joseph and Mary. Those were James's parents. Can you imagine growing up in this family of origin? Your family of origin has perhaps more influence on you than almost anything in life, for better and for worse. James grew up in the family of Jesus, the, the first biological, fully biological son of, of Joseph and, and Mary. Jesus was his older brother. And they grew up in the town of Nazareth in northern Israel, Palestine, right? And this was a town, a little village, really, that was probably four to 500 people in the first century. So a, a very small town, Jewish families in the first century, just like James's family, were large families with small houses, okay? So nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. If Jesus snored at night, we don't know if he did or not, but if he snored, he kept James up because they stayed in the very same place. And we know that uh, Jesus had at least four brothers. We're gonna walk through that in just a minute. We have their names recorded and at least two sisters because uh, it, it's listed that he had sisters. He may have had more than two sisters. So we know that there, this was a family of at least seven children. 
that grew up in a very modest home in Nazareth in a carpenter's family. And again, James is living, right, with, with Jesus for the first 30 years of his life. Can you, can you imagine the stories? So they learned the trade of their father, Joseph, who was a carpenter who worked with his hands. They baked bread together. They played together. I'm sure there were all kinds of challenges in the home uh, together. They knew all their different idiosyncrasies, all the different things. And it speaks, by the way, to the normalcy of Jesus. Jesus, the son of God that came to earth, that took on flesh, the Bible says, to explain himself to us, to reveal himself to us. And he chose to live in a carpenter's uh, family with other siblings, brothers and sisters, living as just like many of us do, with the same challenges, with the same things, circumstances and difficulties that a, that a family would face, many of you in your own families. Jesus chose to put himself right in the middle of our neighborhoods and our families. And doesn't that say something? about the God we serve. He desires so much to know you and for you to know him that he became one of us. He does get us because he chose to become one of us and even move into a a first century modest Jewish family, sharing a room with other brothers and sisters and living a life just like we do. We get some insight further into this family of origin that James grows up in at Matthew 13, verses 54 through 58, if you just wanna write the reference down. But I wanna read it to you because it's powerful. When Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown, when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? And they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, and here's our guy, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, different Judas. And interestingly, Joseph isn't mentioned because he's probably passed away by now. But they know him as the carpenter's son. And then here comes his sisters, verse 56. All of his sisters, so it may have been two, it may have been more, live right here with us. We know these people. We grew up together. We played baseball together. We know each other. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended. Wow. And they refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except his hometown and among his own family. And he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. The commonness of Jesus is on display here. This is the same Jesus that we grew up fishing with. This is the same Jesus that we, we worked that part-time job with, that we played you know, sports with, that we did all the things with. And, and how is he standing now in the synagogue and, and teaching and preaching and performing miracles and, and saying these things about himself, that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah. And they thought he was a liar, including his brothers that are mentioned here. And James is first among them. And because James was the first listed after Jesus leaves the house, James, we can um, ascertain here that he's the spokesperson for the family. So he's speaking out for the family. So what do we learn about James and his family of origin? Well, James, including his three brothers and his sisters, they don't believe in Jesus. 
And you can hear painfully in Matthew 13 that they're scoffing at Jesus. They're offended by Jesus. And then let's fast forward just to make the point even more. In John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, this is recorded about Jesus' family, James's family, this family of origin. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee, but he wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of the shelters. Now listen to this. And Jesus' brothers, including James, said to him, and this was probably James speaking as the spokesperson for the family, leave here, Jesus, and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles, and you can hear the tone of this. You can't become famous if you hide like this, because isn't that your goal, brother, to be famous? You think you're special. You think you're better than us. You're the crab trying to crawl out of the pot. We're going to pull you right back down. You think you're special? Go to Judea and do all this and see what happens to you. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And then look at this verse. And to me, this is a heartbreaking passage. John 7, verse 5. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Wow. Including James. And there's an inference here all the way back to Joseph in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. The the story of Joseph, different Joseph in Genesis, is the longest narrative in Genesis. It's almost 13 chapters. And it follows along Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers over their jealousy. And Joseph was an archetype. He was a forerunner of Jesus. And we see a little bit of that story right here in in the gospel of John as Jesus's brothers are are trying to sell him out. They want him to go to Judea, and the inference is to be arrested by the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and potentially imprisoned and even killed. And James, the author of our book here, is leading the way. All right, one more passage, Mark 3, just to make make the point even more. This is during Jesus' ministry, One time Jesus enters a house and the crowds begin to gather around and soon uh, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. They were so busy doing ministry with people. Verse 21, Mark 3, when his family, we know his family now, including James, heard what was happening, they tried to take him away and they said, he's out of his mind. Not only is he a liar, he's a lunatic. He's lost his mind. Let us take him away. Come back home, Jesus. You're lying to people. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. And who's leading the way in speaking these words? The spokesperson of the family, the author of our book, James himself. All right, so three passages there. Matthew 13, John 7, uh, Mark 3, all about James and Jesus' family of origin and specifically Jesus' siblings not believing in him. So it begs the question, right? If you're sitting here, you're looking at this, our book is written by James, the same James that didn't believe. What's the question? What changed? They scoffed at him. They were offended by him. They thought he was a liar. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he was out of his mind. So what changed? The resurrection. And when someone rises from the dead, you follow them. That's what changed. When someone was dead, 
and now they're alive, you change your mind. The resurrection, which we'll talk about in several weeks on Easter, is the seminal event in Christianity. More than anything else in the scriptures, our faith, our faith is based on a real person, Jesus, who was dead and raised to life. And what changed for James and his siblings was the resurrection. Their lying, crazy brother was raised from the dead. And Paul writes about this specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about the basis for his ministry, and he mentions James. Listen to this. Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, which, by the way, is the essence of discipleship. I passed on to you which was mo- what, what is most important and was passed on to me. It's, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. I passed on to you what was passed on to me, Paul says. Here it is, the essence of Christianity. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James. Not James the Apostle, because James the Apostle has already, um, already uh, um, experienced the resurrection because he was one of the original 12. He's talking about James, the brother of Jesus, and later by all the apostles. So what was that moment like? Let's just, let's just think about that in our mind's eye. And maybe when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see all these biblical scenes in real time. What was that scene like when Jesus, the older brother of James, appeared to him after his resurrection? And what was that conversation like? We don't know exactly what happened, but all we know is James went from saying, you're a liar, you're a lunatic, to saying, you're Lord. And that's what the resurrection does, dear friends. In fact, C.S. Lewis said that there are really three options that people have when they wrestle with the question, which is the most important question that any person could ever ask or answer in their lives, who is Jesus? Lewis said you could say he's a liar. He just was, he just was spreading falsehood. By the way, people will say, you know, Jesus is just a moral teacher, just a really good guy. I don't believe he was Lord. I don't believe he was the son of God, but he was a really good teacher and we should base a lot of our life on his teachings. Really, have you read his teachings? Because if you read what Jesus says about himself, how can you say he's a good person? He's lying. Lewis says the second option is you say he's crazy. He's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. So you give him a little bit of a pass because he's not competent to stand trial. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He's out of his mind. Or you can come to the conclusion that many people have, including James, he's Lord. He's telling the truth. And by the way, James and his siblings cycled through all three, didn't they? They scoffed at him. They were offended because they thought he was lying. They said, come back home, Jesus. And he told everybody there, he's out of his mind. He's crazy. Don't pay attention to our big brother. But finally, James says he's Lord. And what changed was the resurrection. By the way, I think this is one of the greatest apologetics and evidences for the Christian faith. 
that Jesus's family of origin, real people, including James himself, who grew up with Jesus, did not believe in Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus. And at the end of his life, he's saying, Jesus is Lord. In fact, he introduces himself, look at verse one again, as I'm a slave to God and who else? My big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just, let's just do a little survey. How many of you that have siblings one of your siblings has ever uh, referred to you in a Christmas card or anything as Lord? <laughs> All right. Me either. I have a twin sister, I have an older sister. Never happened. Never gonna happen, right? James says, my big brother, Jesus, he's Lord. And the resurrection is what changed that. James also, importantly to understand his context, he's born in the family of Mary and Joseph, he grows up with Jesus. He's not a follower initially, but he becomes a follower. But even more importantly, he becomes a leader in the church, specifically the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. At that time, in the first half of the first century, the most important church, the sending church, if you will. And James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the, the pastor of this, this flock. And he writes this letter to his flock, the church that's scattered around. We'll talk about why in just a little bit but he writes this in the late 40s. This was probably the earliest book in the New Testament that was written. So 27 books in the New Testament. James being written right in the late 40s is probably the first book chronologically written in the New Testament. And James again becomes this very important leader in the church. In fact, when Paul and Barnabas on their first Gentile mission outside of Jerusalem, because remember, Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, of Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth, which aren't you glad for that scope, because we're sitting here today in Charlotte, North Carolina, which they never could have even imagined in the first century. But the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth and continues to do so today. That's the call of Jesus. Paul, who had a call to be the apostle to the Gentiles, those who were non-Jewish uh, people outside of Jewish places, he wanted to go and take the gospel to them. And he comes to Jerusalem, the, the epicenter of Christianity in the first century. And he comes with a really important question. Do you remember what the question was? Hey, we're preaching the gospel. We're seeing people who did not grow up Jewish come to Christ. And we wanna know, do people who come to Christ who are not Jewish, do they have to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus? And the council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 debates this really important question. And they come back, do you remember the answer? And they say, no, and aren't you glad for that? People who are not Jewish can follow Jesus. And guess who it is that stands up in front of all the council in the church and answers Paul and Barnabas and commissions and blesses them on their missionary journeys? Acts chapter 15, verse 13. When they had finished, James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. He takes authority over the church. Jesus' little brother and says, we don't need to make it hard for Gentiles to come to Jesus. And by the way, church, for those of us who are Christ followers, we don't need to make it difficult for people to get to the cross. The cross is already offensive enough. We don't need our cultural, political, whatever other trappings in the way as little checkpoints for people to get to Jesus. And this is what James is saying, grace is enough. My big brother, Jesus, is enough. His sacrifice on the cross is enough for us. 
and we don't need to make it difficult for Gentiles to get to Jesus. The one stipulation he makes is he says, make sure that people, when they're following Jesus, keep themselves pure, that they make their faith real, which becomes a theme for the whole book, by the way. Shows a little bit of the heart of the author, James. But he says, I don't wanna make it hard for people to come to Jesus. Now I wanna say this because James sometimes gets a, a bum rap with some people because they think, in fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, wanted James to be removed from the New Testament because he thought it was too works oriented. But I would challenge that severely with this teaching because this is the same James that stands up to the Jerusalem council. He's the same James that stands up in front of the whole church and says, grace is enough. Sometimes people pit the, uh, Paul and James against each other like two heavyweights battling out between grace and works. And I think that's so unfair to our brother James. James is writing, as we'll see in a minute, primarily to a group of people who are already followers of Jesus. He's not trying to write a fifth gospel about who Jesus is and give information about grace. He's trying to talk about how to live out that grace in your life. James knew that grace was enough. He met Jesus in that post-resurrection appearance. He understood the sacrifice of his brother Jesus. He wasn't trying to add works to faith. What he was trying to say is, if you have a genuine faith in Jesus, if you love Jesus, it'll show in your life. It's like the old song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands or tell your face. And that's essentially what James was saying is, if you love Jesus, if you love Jesus, tell your face, right? Tell your life. Let me say it this way. Your doctrine, the information about God, your theology, which is the understanding and the study of God, your doctrine will eventually become ethic. What's in your head and your heart will come out in your hands. What's down in the, in the well will come up in the bucket. Say it however you want to. And that's what James was trying to say. He wasn't trying to add to faith and grace alone. Absolutely not. He answers that in Acts 15. What he's trying to say is if you have a genuine life-changing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll affect the way you live. Not perfectly, but progressively that you're gonna become more and more and more like Jesus. And if you're like me, it's like this but you're on a journey to follow Jesus more and more and more. And last thing here, I think this is so amazing. Again, as James and Paul, kind of these two big pillars in the early church are sometimes pitted against each other. Paul being the, some people say the purveyor of grace and James being the one that holds on to works, which again is bogus. Both Paul and James are martyred at almost the same time. Again, just if you're writing historical context here, James is written somewhere around 48, 49, right? In the first century, the council of Jerusalem was when? 49. So he writes the letter that you're reading, that we're studying the next couple of months, a year before the council where he says, grace is enough. And then fast forward about 15 years, he's martyred in Jerusalem by those same Jewish leaders that he was standing up to. And Paul the Apostle Paul, who went to the Gentiles, is martyred in Rome. Now watch this, because it's very significant. In the beginning of Acts, which is the history of the early church, in the beginning of Acts, Jesus appears to his followers. And in Acts 1.8, he gives a, another commissioning that stands on top of the Great Commission that he ends the Gospels with. 
And he says, you're gonna be, you remember this, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Nothing more powerful in a trial than an eyewitness, of which there were over 500 to the resurrection, by the way. And Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses. Where? What's the scope of the witness? He says, the power is gonna come upon you of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What was the ends of the earth in the first century? For a first century Jew, what was the ends of the earth? Rome. So in this one understanding of Paul and James, we see the early apostles, the first century apostles, fulfilling the command and the wishes, the desires, the commissioning of Jesus. Paul dies in Rome for his faith. He's martyred there, the ends of the earth. James stays and dies in Jerusalem for his faith. Both of them saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus has been resurrected. He's alive. Listen, it takes great faith to go. And Paul went. He left Jerusalem. He went to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He took the gospel to the Gentiles. And his legacy lives on even through our lives. But it takes great faith as well to stay. And James stayed and anchored the church in Jerusalem. For some of you in your life right now, God's calling you to go. And I don't know what that means specifically, but I know I'm preaching to somebody here today. God's calling you to take a step out and go, and that requires great faith. For some of you here today, God's calling you to stay, and that requires great faith. Some people try to say, you know, if you go, that requires faith. If you stay, that doesn't require enough faith. Here's the question to ask, because they both require faith. Whether it's staying or going, whatever that looks like in your life, what requires the most faith? For James to stay in the middle of the hornet's nest in Jerusalem and continue to pastor and preach and write and eventually die for his brother Jesus, it meant staying. For Paul, it meant going and dying in Rome. And in that, together, these two pillars fulfilled the great commission and this witness that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1. It's a beautiful thing. Let's talk just for a moment about the recipients. Just real quickly, I'm out of time. Um, The 12 tribes... Shocking, I know. The 12 tribes. What, what is up with James addressing the letter to the 12 tribes? Where is, where is that coming from? Well, well, obviously, this is a very Jewish statement. If you understand the Hebrew Testament, you know that Israel had 12 tribes. So James is, is connecting his letter to the scattered Christians of the Jerusalem church to the 12 tribes of Israel. And James, if you're taking notes, is probably the most Jewish New Testament book, even more so than Matthew. James is writing specifically to Jewish Christians. Now, his writings are for all the church, but for the, his primary audience were Jewish Christians, which again, again gives the context for his writing about how do, you, how do you begin to put works and living out your faith? So James, I just wanna be clear here. This is so important, but context is so important in the scriptures. James is not writing to the group of people who are kicking the tires on faith and trying to explore the question, who is Jesus? If that were the case, he should have sent them to the gospels, the foundations of the New Testament. Who is Jesus and what are his claims? James is an instructional book. And just really quickly, I'll come back to this in the series. There are four uh, foundational books in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, otherwise known as the Gospels. There's one historical book in the New Testament. You know what that is? Acts. 
That's the history of the church. And there are 22 instructional books in the New Testament for a total of 27. Foundations, history, instruction. What is James? It's instructional. It's not meant to be. Now it has foundational teachings and it has some history, but its primary intention, the theme of James is to be instructional. And who is James instructing? He's instructing people that are already following Jesus. So he's not trying to teach them about what it means to find Jesus. He's trying to teach them about what it means to follow Jesus in their life. Does that make sense? And so he's saying to these Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad because of persecution, when you're wondering how to get through what you're going through, when you feel stuck, when you feel scattered, I wanna treat you and I wanna talk to you and remind you of your history, just like the 12 tribes of Israel were scattered, right? Exile has always been a part of the Jewish tradition. The first exile was in Egypt for 400 plus years. Where was the second exile? To Babylon, right, for 70 plus years. Here's the third exile to the Gentile nations abroad. And so what James is trying to do here is to say, guys, you're in good company. The people of God have always lived in exile. And by the way, Paul says that I'm not a citizen of this world. My citizenship belongs in heaven. So what does that mean for those of us who are followers of Jesus? We're exiles. My primary identity and citizenship is not in this world. It's in the life and the world to come. And so James, even with this little phrase, the 12 tribes, the recipients of this letter, he's affirming them, but he's also saying, let me connect your heritage, your tradition, your understanding of being scattered and exiled with all of your brothers and sisters who have lived in exile before and cloud by day, fire by night, follow God. And guess what? God's calling you to do the exact same thing. And that's the theme of James. It's not primarily, everyone watch this, James is not primarily a what is book. Okay, it doesn't mean there's not information here. There's great information. It doesn't mean there's not facts in here. There are facts. But James is primarily a how-to book. It's not a what is book primarily. What does that mean? It, wisdom is information, facts, knowledge applied. James is a book of wisdom. And we'll talk about that over the next several months. James is saying, let me take all the foundational teachings of who you know Jesus to be and your identity and life, and how do you apply that into everyday life? That's the primary theme of the book of James. That's what he's after. He's, he wants wisdom for Christian living. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you want that? How do I take what I say I believe, this real Jesus, and make it real in my life? If that's you right now, if you're asking those questions, if you feel stuck, if you feel scattered, James is for you. Because this is exactly who he's writing to. James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom written by David's son Solomon in the Old Testament. And James is akin to that. It's wisdom for living. How do you take this faith and live it out in, in real life and in real time? And what's really interesting as well is that James references over 105 different thematic connections to the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus's most famous sermon found in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, James references the Sermon on the Mount and his teachings 105 different times. The Sermon on the Mount is known as Jesus's most practical teaching. It's a how-to. How do I live out this faith in front of other people in a real world, in a real life. 
If you're wondering how to get through what you're going through, if you feel stuck in your life right now in a relationship, if you feel scattered with the world that you're living in, like an exile living in a foreign place, and you look around and go, man, what is happening in this world? And how do I take a real faith in Jesus, the one that I'm following, and live it out among people? James is for you. James is all about how to get through what you're going through. That is the bottom line for the book of James. And it's the bottom line theme that we'll be walking through over the next several months. So I wanna encourage you again, if you feel stuck, if you feel scattered, if you're wrestling with that question, how do I get through what I'm going through? I wanna encourage you to be here. I wanna encourage you to think about somebody in your life that needs to be here. I want you to read ahead, to take the guide today and read ahead and really study and pay attention to the teachings that are given in this letter. And I want you to pray. I want you to join me and the rest of your New City family with praying for God to meet us and speak specifically to us through this incredible work called James. To Christ alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you that in in a world and in a room like this where we can feel so stuck in so many different ways, maybe even in our faith, where we can feel scattered by so many things that are coming at us in this fast-paced life, that we can come back again to your word, to your truth, and know that we are loved, that you see us, that you know us, that you're walking with us, not to get over things in our life, but to get through things with your help. So I pray this morning for each of my dear friends that you would help us as we come to your word and give attention to the book of James over the next several months, that you would help us to build our lives on the firm foundation of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. And we give you glory for that today. Amen.